0: Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan. I have a jammed show for you today. First and foremost, out of the gate, Deirdre Bosta. She is the co-anchor of CNBC's Tech Check, returning to the pod. Deirdre, welcome.
2: Happy to be here again, Dan. Anytime for you.
0: Yeah, you and I have a ton uh, to talk about. I mean, you've been you've been covering all of this uh, this chat, GPT, and it just seems like there's no shortage of headlines around these kind of language models here that have caught the rate, not, not just here, but also in China. Like as I'm looking at my at screen, I see Baidu um, yeah. up more than 10% because they made an announcement on this front. We know that Google is making some investments. Um, as we are recording this right now, Microsoft is hosting, their AI event, just talking about how they're going to integrate ChatGPT into Bing. So that is going to be just a hot topic here, and we're going to hit all that. Just real quickly, a little housekeeping. I also have a great conversation with Firstmark Capital's Rick Heitzman on the end of the great VC consumer subsidy. And then also Gene Munster from Deepwater Asset Management is going to join me to go over All of the mega cap tech earnings that happened over the last week and a half or so okay debo let's hit this one because i've seen (laughs) you all over cnbc talking about this it feels like for a couple months now you have a a lot of reporting across all of these major companies but it just kind of seemed like it hit The public market by storm, I think that, you know, in December, a lot of people were talking about, is this going to be a big threat to Google? How far behind are they? And open AI, you know, Microsoft seemed to, like with that billion dollar investment initially, and then this $10 billion investment seems to have like a bit of the pole position here. Thoughts on just what's going on, because it seems to be a little bit of a mania, um, (laughs) not just out there in the valley, but kind of just all, all over the globe here.
2: It's gone bananas, hasn't it? I mean, it's all we're talking about. I think the whole first part of our show was dedicated to this. Dan, you know that I live in San Francisco. The first time I heard about ChatGPT was at a dinner party last year. Uh, one of our guests said, check out this thing. Ask it anything you want. It was ChatGPT. And we were testing out how we could Ask it questions, riddles, write a poem—all the things that people are doing now. But it just exploded, absolutely exploded into the mainstream over the last few months with OpenAI. Once they put out their trial that you could sign up for and test out, and since then it's just gone faster than I think probably anyone can imagine. Even the guys at ChatGPT and OpenAI—I mean, there's charts you've probably seen them how it's reached a million faster than Twitter, and it's created sort of a bit of panic as well, right? It Google. You talked about earnings last week, and I've covered Alphabet earnings for years, and they're always talking about being an AI-first company. Senator Pichai saying it's at the core of everything we do. But Microsoft OpenAI stole their moment. So now what you see is this massive tech company trying to play catch up. Today is the uh, Microsoft kind of last-minute press conference. Tomorrow we'll hear from Alphabet all sorts of questions over what companies can use it and just speaking of earnings season it feels like this is the new blockchain everyone's just using it wherever they can whenever they can
0: yeah it's funny you know we were talking about it on fast money last night you know C3 AI you know it's run by a guy named Tom Siebel who's been around in in the software space um for an awful long time and you know it that stock has gone from you know ten dollars it closed down Uh, at the end of last year, down 95% from its post IPO high when IPO'd in in late 2021, and it was just left for dead. Here was a company that was expected to do maybe $260 million in revenue, expected to lose, you know, a a bit more than that. It's got the AI in the name there, which is pretty good. That stock rallied 200% to its highs just the other day, and it's down um, a bit today, and it just shows you just kind of the scarcity of pure play, I guess, public names how some of these other guys are scurrying around like alphabet you know they're making a 300 million dollar investment in anthropic i mean these are companies that are obviously way pre-revenue and Mm -hmm. it's funny that you use that example of blockchain we remember the dot com sort of frenzy you know 25 years ago it just seems that like some of these big platforms they have the money to throw around and they might as well spread their bets if they can't buy these companies from a regulatory standpoint because 10 years ago if this was just kind of the craze you know like remember when facebook on the eve of their ipo they just paid a billion dollars for instagram i don't think they can do that right now in this regulatory environment
2: at the same time the regulatory environment is so backwards looking right we talk about the doj looking at google's advertising business and maybe that's a reason as well that's why the stakes are so high here ai as you well know and probably a lot of your audience knows has already been in use, been being used in different ways for enterprise um, for many, many years. This is the first time it's really hit the consumer. And I guess the implications for search, for Google's business, for Bing's business are so large. But going back to your comment about C3 AI, it's kind of like we're at this moment where there's a disregard for the fundamentals. Anything that has AI is buzzy. We interview Tom Siebel often after you know most quarters and he's got a lot of government contracts and he's trying to shift his model to a consumption-based one from a subscription-based one, which is a difficult place to be if you're entering a macro downturn. So it does feel like everyone's reaching. Your point about being pre-revenue is true, but where I sit, San Francisco, it kind of feels like a return to what investors here, VCs, look for. It's that promise, that pie-in-the-sky promise of something that can be so transformative. And certainly, uh, it's been a long time since something like generative AI has had this big an impact.
0: We could just kind of connect this a little bit with the web three, you know, kind of blockchain craze of the last five years or so, because a lot of kind of really smart tech investors in the private markets were throwing a lot of money at these things, but what's different to me is that we were in a zero interest rate environment, and that's a very different environment right now. And when you see some of the numbers that some of these startups in, in this kind of, AI space, and they're all like, you know, chat GPT competitor raising 250 at a billion dollar valuation or something. I mean, those are really hard numbers to kind of grow out of. And the one thing I do think is interesting, though, is that like the open AI, you know, when when Microsoft invested um, a billion dollars, you know, a couple of years ago, part of that was rebate, right, to to use their public cloud and to use other resources. And I think that's also what Alphabet is going to be doing. And, And maybe that makes a whole heck of a lot more sense, especially when you think about some of these public clouds and where they're geared towards obviously amazon has historically been geared more towards the startup space you know microsoft's azure and maybe google cloud a bit more in the enterprise i have to think that that has something to do with this
2: yeah at a time too when cloud is slowing at all of the hyperscalers that you just mentioned generative ai takes a lot of computing power and it's a good way to invest in the next technologies maybe hedge their bets as well we know that google has been developing their own ai products internally for a very long time maybe raises the question why do they need to go out and invest in a chat gpt rival shouldn't they already have this in-house well they do it's called bard and They're testing it now internally. These businesses, we talk about this cost-cutting environment, right? And they need to show efficiency to their investors, but they also need to continue to diversify. That is what they are so good at. When you take a look at Google, it's still getting, what, 80% of its revenue from the ad, from digital advertising, which may be disrupted now. It's do or die for Sundar Pichai, and that's why maybe it's not so surprising to see the urgency the code red within the organization to make sure that they're not just on top of this trend, but leading it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting also that one of the things that, you know, you and I, and I know you've been covering tech for a long time. I mean, you know, you hear this expression thrown around all the time that technology is the largest disinflationary force and and it's accelerating. Right. And when you think about a technology like this, and you think of all the use cases and you think about, you know, big platform companies figuring out how to integrate it into different processes. It's hard to see it not as disinflationary. And so at a time where all of these major tech platforms grew like crazy during the pandemic, adding hundreds of thousands of employees, and now they're cutting tens of thousands of employees, right? And so if if wage growth and, and employee headcount was you know, the thing that was kinda potentially gonna weigh down on margins in a decelerating environment, which we are in, and that's one thing that I think you and I could definitely agree on, post the Q4 earnings and at least the, the sort of color that we got about the existing period is that growth is decelerating, right? There's, there's no doubt about it. And the, a lot of these companies have to keep up with these cost cuts here. I just wonder, you know, how much of the integration of these technologies is gonna be hype in the near term, you know what I mean? But I think the long term, it will most definitely be disinflationary.
2: Hype, absolutely. Um, but you think about a product like Bang, which, had trouble getting off the ground. Is everything changed? At the end of this week, Dan, are we gonna be able, are we gonna be searching in a very different way? I mean, I'm testing out an app on my phone that has chat GPT behind it. I find myself going to it instead of going to www.google.com. They just need a better interface, right? So far, we've been using OpenAI products on a browser i have to keep signing into it it's not all that intuitive there's an app now i don't know if i can say which one it is i'm testing it out it has a database too of what people are searching for and the idea of search is transforming in real time so while there is a lot of hype and perhaps this takes months and years to play out i think there is the possibility that on the consumer side of things the consumer facing this takes off faster than anyone expects and ChatGPT was really the model for that reaching a million users faster than anyone could have predicted. Um, But that said, there's a lot of companies out there and a lot of companies trying to use this in a way that will take years to play out. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I guess, you know, I've been talking to a lot of uh, VCs, as as you have on the topic, and just kind of trying to get a sense for how does this thing play out for, like, are we going to see just this huge boom in, like, all of these um, private companies? Or are we likely to see these large platform companies just who have the ability to kind of do the sorts of deals we've seen already from Microsoft um, and Alphabet. I'm sure Amazon will be doing some deals here and just leveraging you know, within their own platforms, right? And then offering them as services within their cloud offerings too. Like, will they take all of the benefit this in the near term or are we likely to see a bunch of multi-billion companies kind of bubble up here. And I, and I, I listen, that's the one thing, you know, when you talk about the kind of headwinds from a regulatory standpoint with some of our major platform companies, it's like, will they continue to just stifle innovation and new technologies because they can just kind of continue to either buy, invest, do whatever the heck they want, Hire. So to me, that'll be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out. And I just remember, you remember a few years ago when all of these companies started using the term structured data? and everything like that and, and really what they're talking about is using advanced technology tools and and just you know just another buzzword i guess is what i'm saying here and who will benefit in the long term
2: it's it's a good question and you know the mega caps they have scale right um it's not just the consumer facing the search potential of generative ai but when you think what microsoft has and what they can offer open ai is their office product suite right they have millions and millions, hundreds of millions of users on Teams and Office, et cetera, that they can achieve that skill with. And I think that's the promise of this technology is the licensing of it, right? Where are we gonna see it? You mentioned public cloud software. You can imagine that it's going to be everywhere. There's gonna be apps built on top of this. So certainly it's moving fast. And I would say that maybe that's another concern we've lived through um, the rise of social media and right now it's all everyone's talking about and the hype machine is going but maybe the not so desirable impacts of this technology like ip theft and plagiarism and privacy that has yet to really show itself but i have a feeling that that's going to rear its head soon enough and the regulators are going to be looking at it the question is can you put the genie back in the bottle with social media that was incredibly it was impossible So do we have a chance to do that? And that's what Sundar Pichai at Google talks about. He says, we need to be bold, but we also have to be responsible. You can read that as an excuse maybe for them not getting a product out sooner. They want to do it carefully, Um, but it does raise questions about the speed we're seeing things happen now.
0: All right, let's switch to bold and irresponsible. Um, There was an article in the information yesterday about (laughs) uh, Musk's Twitter has just 180,000 U.S. subscribers, 290,000 globally, and that is for products like Twitter Blue and and maybe some other um, subscription products. There, maybe getting your gold check and all that stuff if you're um, a corporation here. But it's interesting, you know. This is a company that has over. 400 million monthly active users. Um, and when you do the math, I mean, I can do that math. I mean, that is, you know, like, a, a, you know, a less than 1% of their users. This is two months. 0. In
2: here. 0.2, I believe, of yeah. monthly active users. <laughs> which,
0: is, which is crazy when you think about, because the information was also reporting a few weeks ago that Q4 um, revenues, we know those are primarily advertising revenues, were down maybe 35% um, or so. I mean, this has the makings of just being, you know, an, an absolute um, disaster. He did make that First um, interest payment. We know that a lot of the rate on a lot of that debt that he has is floating. We know where interest rates are um, right now. I mean, this seems to be a really difficult situation because you know he at first was like, "Listen, we can make it up in subscription products. What we're losing in ad revenue." And then I think at some point last year he probably did some of that math, and and it's coming out right now where it's like, "Well, um, we may have to file for bankruptcy." And the, the other question I would just make is that you know, or, or have for you is that Tesla shares and that to obviously fund the purchase of this thirty billion in equity and 13 billion or so um, in debt have rallied from their lows in January, um, about 100%. He said he's not selling any more stock, but God damn it. I mean, like, I, I gotta think that he's ready to sell a whole heck of a lot of stock here and, and really put to rest some of the issues as far as how this company Twitter stays afloat.
2: Right, the question is, will he have a choice, right? If, if Twitter continues to put up numbers like this and fail to, get more people to pay for the subscription service, it feels inevitable, right? That he's gonna have to sell more eventually in terms of Tesla. And also the rally this year has been momentum based, right? Not necessarily fundamentals, like a lot of the other companies that we've been talking about in tech. Do we give Elon Musk the benefit of the doubt? I mean, in the lifetime of Elon Musk and what he's been able to achieve, you could say that it's still early days for Twitter, that he's still figuring it out you know he's still sort of in a room hold up not far from here in san francisco tinkering with this i don't know i tend to want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's solved problems that no one else has he's made tesla into what it is today he's gone to space he's created so many compelling products but as you said he took on a lot of debt to do this deal and he has Kind of a clock ticking
0: no doubt about it and you know the, here was an interesting you know on that front as far as rates are concerned valuations and, and the like here there was an article in the wall street journal and i it just kind of caught my attention here speculative stocks soar as investors dust off the low rate playbook. And then here's one from Bloomberg Fed's Bostic says higher rate peak on the table after jobs blowout. Okay. So, like, when you think about this, investors, you just said this, this is like kind of a momentum led rally that we've seen in the NASDAQ, which is up 13% or so on the year already here. And the anticipation of rates going lower despite the fact that we're just going to continue especially with that jobs report i mean like the stickiest part of inflation has clearly been jobs and wage growth here and one of the reasons why we just said a lot of these companies are aggressively trying to cut jobs here but when you think about the stocks and how much some of these things have moved with deceleration in like a lot of their core metrics. And who knows, you know, this whole idea that we are entering into a soft economic landing, that's not what I heard from some of these major platform companies. And I'd love to get your take on that a little bit because it seems to be what they were kind of talking about, the lack of visibility that they have right now. They are preparing for tougher times. The stock market is saying something different.
2: This disconnect is pretty fascinating. We were so prepared for a really ugly earnings season. It wasn't a disaster but it was still very disappointing. And to your point, let's take a look at cloud, right? A lot of investors look at the hyperscalers, uh, Microsoft Azure, Amazon AWS, Google Cloud to figure out how other companies are spending. These numbers came in lower than anyone expected. I mean, Amazon's AWS is expected to dip into the growth rate that is is expected to dip into what mid-teens? And the markets ignored this. We had Bill.com CEO on this week too, who said that what he's seeing from the SMB side is a serious slowdown in spending, but the market isn't paying attention to it because it's reacting to the macro, as you say. So how long until these fundamentals start to come in and Investors respond to that. I mean, we've got Fed Chair Powell speaking this afternoon, and the question we have is, is he going to be dovish or is he going to be hawkish? Does he have to make up for last week when he was perceived as a little dovish? I I don't know how this plays out, but I will tell you, Dan, that we have some people, not the majority of them coming on air. We had one today, a guest who lived through the dot-com bubble and then bust, who says it kind of looks like that more than it does 08, 09. So are we in for a reckoning? Could we retest those valuations? To your point, what's the right valuation level to retest is that when we still had low rates and easy money or before then in a higher rate environment, the market is curious right now. you got a stock like Carvana, right? <laughs> that has been booming this year on not fundamentals.
0: Yeah, well, listen, as we're speaking, you know, Fed Chair Powell is, is out and he's saying the Fed will likely need to push rates higher, and the stock market is rattling. I mean, so, again, you know, to the point we're in, you know, the Nasdaq is maybe close to 20% off those October lows, and you see all the data. If you go back and you think about, you know, 2000, 2001, 02, you know, there was a lot of bear market rallies that equaled about 20%. I remember them, I lived through it here. I don't think we're out of the woods yet, but listen, Debo, I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully you'll come back very soon. We have a ton to talk about every week here. And and so um, I'd love to get your insights as much as we can. So I appreciate you coming here and and dropping all this knowledge on the OK Computer listener.
2: Well, I love the pod, so anytime you ask, Dan.
0: Stick around for my conversation with Rick Heitzman of First Mark Capital and also Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management. Cross River Bank, member FDIC. I'm back with Rick Heitzman of First Mark Capital. We thought this would be a good opportunity. Rick has a little theme that uh, he and I have been talking about. I know that it's probably on the top of your mind. Some of just the kind of consumer marketplace internet models here. And again, he was the first institutional capital into Pinterest. We are recording this on Tuesday afternoon, the day after the company reported their Q4 earnings. Guided down um, and we'll hit their quarter. Um, Initially, that stock was down like 10 13% or so. And then on the call, they talked about improving margins over the course of the year. And this is part of the theme I think you want to hit here. You know, we hear the great cancellation, the great resignation, this and that, whatever. You're calling this, what are you calling this right now the, that you want to talk about? The
1: end of the great consumer subsidization.
0: Yeah, by by, by, uh, by people in your industry. By, in the by venture
1: capitalists and by the public markets. Yeah. So, you know, as we think about what's next, and a lot of what Dan, you and I talk about is what's next, what should we think about in terms of thematics, and what we should think about in terms of companies, but just, you know, as we've seen in earnings this week, what was last? What was last is those companies are maturing. You see that companies are being rewarded for cutting costs. Companies are now being valued on EBITDA, whether it was Facebook or Pinterest or whoever it may be in the public markets. It's less about revenue growth. It's less about revenue multiples. It's more about profitability multiples. And we're thinking about this new transition and what's next. And we've come through kind of two big cycles over the last 20 years. The first was broadband. And, you know, the in, uh, first, the Internet. Second, you know, the rise of broadband and the rise of, of, of high-speed computing and everything that brought. The second was about 15 years ago, the iPhone. So now all of a sudden everybody has computers in their pockets and a whole new generation of apps were created for the phone, whether it be messaging apps like Snap or ways to take the Internet in your pocket with Pinterest. And now people are looking to What's next? And that's kind of what I think about every day.
0: Some of these models that were born post-financial crisis, you know, that confluence of mobile, social, broadband, we know that just was kind of an explosion, a whole host of things. And then if you throw in the public cloud, that was just kind of an exciting cocktail for innovation. But here we are, and so your point is, is that a lot of those platforms in the last 10 years that were subsidized when they were private, okay, by VCs, okay, now that's kind of coming undone a little bit. In a higher interest rate environment in the public markets. And so the question is, what's next? Let's do a little post-mortem, though, on some of these names, because you just mentioned the meta. And, and again, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast over the last year and a half talking about meta. They were dominating the attention across their platforms when we were all locked down at home. And then they had this kind of shift as far as strategy focused on the metaverse. And then all of a sudden, investors, as they started to say to themselves, OK, we're going to be in a slower growth, Higher rate environment weren't willing to kind of subsidize in the public markets those sorts of investments here. Give me a sense of like, what are the things that you're most focused on as we were talking about this? We want to talk about rideshare. We want to talk about food delivery. We want to talk about, you know, some of these models. And again, that they have not been profitable, like, like a DoorDash. It's a great company and it's a great service. But again, if they're not attracting the customers and offering incentives to use it, they can't grow. And that was being rewarded in the private markets. And then as these companies IPO, but not anymore. And these companies are unprofitable. So what do you see for some of these things? Like how do these companies get out of this mess? Because if they also will be penalized if growth slows dramatically, right? Even if they are more profitable. So
1: there's a couple of different pieces there. First is what were the models that people bought into? And, and even the original Facebook logo model was user generated content. We're gonna be a media company, but instead of having to pay, you know, Robert Downey Jr. to be Iron Man and spend millions of dollars on CGI, your friend's birthday pictures is gonna be the media and therefore it's gonna be free, and therefore I should be able to drive 50 plus percent margins. Well, that played out, but then when growth was rewarded more more than earnings, that long-term business model was kind of sullied in a lot of these in a lot of these companies, and that stopped making sense. But you know, you you saw I guess to go to your second point, you know there was a great subsidy about, around a bunch of different industries. You know whether it was Meta in the public and private markets as they thought about new news activities, and then the metaverse in rideshare. We all remember, you know, ten years ago it, w- it was much cheaper to take an Uber than a taxi, and now the reverse is true. That, you know, as as Dara and the Uber team is pushing for margins, they realize, you know, they have to actually make money on each ride. Key one that we've talked about in the past is quick service delivery. Like I could get an avocado delivered to my house in 10 minutes for half the price if I walked to Whole Foods. And I think that's all going away. So you're seeing there was probably 100 rideshare companies. Now there's two major public ones. I'm not sure how many of these quick service delivery things are going to work. But, you know, it might just be DoorDash and Uber Eats. And you think about the streaming wars you're seeing as Iger's come back to Disney. He's saying, hey, we can't spend this level of money. We can't continue to produce content and distribute it at these prices. And people are starting to more focus on what does the business model need to be? It's not just creating reach. Even if you're a company as big as Disney, it's more than reach. It's also profitability and growing in a sustainable way. So, you know, for the consumer – Actually, at a time where we could be going into a recession, there's more layoffs. There's a fundamental dis-savings from the pandemic. Not only does the consumer have less cash – but all these subsidies, which they've everyone's grown used to over the last 10 years are going away. And does that create some kind of opportunity?
0: Well, you know, it's also very inflationary if you think about it. So you just use the example of Disney on the content spend there. They're raising prices for Disney Plus. Netflix is raising prices and they're doing away with um, password sharing over the course of this year. They're also doing ads. So they're going to have an ad supported model. And again, you know, a lot of this stuff at a time where a lot of the behavior was pulled forward years during the yeah. pandemic pandemic, now all of a sudden, to your point, these subsidies are going away, and then therefore it's going to be like consumers paying higher prices. They also are going to have to be a bit more discerning about the services and the frequency in which they use them. So like I actually think of this, and I'm looking at the stock market here, a lot of these companies bottomed late last year, okay? when I think when investors got the sense that the Fed was nearing that kind of 5% terminal rate, and that was the thing that started off this kind of huge decline in valuations in both First the public and then the private markets is when the Fed said they're going to raise interest rates. So when you think about a lot of this behavior as being inflationary, it actually could have this really kind of violent circular sort of action where because – They look at some of this stuff, and I know that the Fed Chair Powell said disinflation like 13 or 14 times. It sparked a huge rally last week at their presser, but it might also be the thing that keeps rate higher for longer. And the valuation reset, I just can't imagine it's done when you think about how a lot of these stocks rocketed off the bottom over the last three or four months or so, because I really feel like this is going to be something that takes some time. And it's not just the the models that you mentioned. You and I were also talking about look at all of the content and the video game space that's being Canceled, right? So again, those companies that create content are looking um, to cut costs. Look at the public cloud companies. We saw the deceleration on those places. And then think about this AWS is having greater deceleration than Azure. They are servicing far more startups than Microsoft is in their public cloud. So that's one. And so I think that like some of this stuff is just going to continue to play out over 2023. And the issue for me right now is really valuations where, you know, it was easy to make the case why throw. throw. Throw a dart at these things and short them. And I think we're back at that place now. It was probably a much harder decision to do that three months ago.
1: And I think we're at a point where two of our key themes, I think the first ever OK computer we did a year and a half ago was even when the frothy market and it was titled business models matter. So your business model matters. What do you charge somebody? How much do they pay you and how much profitability is there? People had lost sight of that, and now that's coming back, and actually the companies are being rewarded by saying – Business model matters. I'm going to produce a game. I'm going to produce content. I'm going to deliver a sandwich, and I'm going to make money on that sandwich because I I really care about not only my pricing structure but my cost structure. And now that the market's bottomed out and companies are now saying, and whether that was Bill at Pinterest yesterday, Evan at Snap, or uh, Zuckerberg at Meta, that, oh, yeah, business models matter. We're going to go back to making money, focus on the bottom line, understanding the costs and investing in those models – that's going to shake out. Now, I think what we're going to see going forward is it's very easy to pay lip service to business models mattering and you know getting religion on cost structures, but who's really going to do it and what do those business models really look at, which ties to- One of our other ongoing themes here at OK Computer of, you know, there's some babies and they're getting thrown out with the bathwater and who's really going to be able to execute against this cost structure and what do these business models really look like at scale?
0: Let's talk about Pinterest real quickly because I know it's top of mind. They reported last night, CEO came on our show last night and he did a great job. I mean, again, I I mean, you know, this is a company that is seeing deceleration. Mm -hmm. They saw a massive pull forward. I think it's also important to kind of recognize the fact that, you know, this is not a massive revenue company, right? So they have the benefit, they're the tailwind of this huge huge secular shift right yep. as it relates to e-commerce and the the situation where they are they have a really unique spot as far as discovery and they keep talking about commerce 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 and i'm sure when you were on the board years ago that was part of your your five-year plan exactly. but it wasn't in place and i look at a company like this the stock was baby with bathwater this was last spring of 2022 it traded as low as 16 well here it is at $26 here they just guided down and i actually think That's prudent, man. Like, you know what I mean? Set the stage. So here they are, the only year they were ever profitable on a gap basis was 2021, there was the pull forward. This year, let's call it flat on a gap basis. Revenue's expected to grow, you know, 10%, maybe increasing. So you have a stock trading at five and a half times sales. You have a multiple on earnings, whether it be adjusted, you know, which is still looks kind of high, but if they do what they said they're gonna do, okay, and they are really focused on their margins, then the profitability is gonna come, and this is gonna look like a cheap stock. is. Am I looking at this correctly? No, that's
1: exactly right. And I think you have the options. And Bill, who's the new CEO there, came from Google and Braintree, who's really focused on commerce and his vision around commerce. I think no one's giving them credit for yet. So you're saying, all right, on the pure Pinterest classic, for lack of a better term, we're going to control costs. We're really going to focus on ARPU and being able to drive revenue per user, even in a decelerating growth of the user base. And then we're going to be able to layer on in the medium-term commerce. So you have a pretty good floor because you're not trading at a crazy multiple of sales or EBITDA. But you also have some up optionality on some upside as co- as the commerce picture becomes more clear.
0: All right. Let's talk about this. Interest rates, whether you people who are here for the tech conversation like it or not, the wonk is part of this yes. because, you know, you know, free money, OK, you know, like 10 years of, of zero interest rate, zero interest rate policy, the ZERP, as we like to call it, was one of the impetuses for the creation of a lot of these companies, right? If there wasn't money moving to alternatives like venture, OK, yeah. looking to kind of go out on the risk curve a little bit a lot of these companies would have never been created they never would have been funded they never would have been able to subsidize the growth that sort of thing so here we are you know one of the things about the fed they can do a victory lap on gas coming down right on other inflationary inputs one thing they cannot do rick and again is this unemployment rate at 3.4 percent. it's the lowest level since 1969 and we added 517,000 jobs, way above expectations in January. Now, that's juxtaposed to, you and I probably saw from the major tech companies, probably 100,000 job cuts in January. Talk to me a little bit about that dynamic. Is it making some of the CEOs that you speak to a little hesitant? Do they think they are cutting too much at a time where the valuations have already come in dramatically for their stocks? They are solving to margins. A lot of the other inflationary inputs um, you know, are down. It's just wages are still high And they're making cuts And I'm just curious Because that is a really interesting setup And I think tech right now Is bearing the brunt of the jobs cuts And a lot of people are looking around And saying, wait a minute jobs the, the, The employment market's gangbusters right now
1: It is gangbusters, and I think there's a lot of pent-up demand. You couldn't hire an engineer if you were in a traditional industry because Facebook and Google were just soaking up all the talent. And now as they're letting go of some talent, that's getting reabsorbed much more quickly than anyone would have guessed. So you're seeing, therefore, salaries remaining high, and we haven't seen salaries go back. So software engineer salaries have increased every year since they started tracking them. You know, thirty odd years. you' everybody, the salary only increased year over year, and we think it's going to actually, amazingly, despite the layoffs, increase again this year. So what you're seeing is that there's still a battle for talent as that talent gets redistributed. But for our CEOs' perspective, people are are kind of are now building behind their success. You know, maybe two years ago they were saying, "I'm going to plan for success. I'm planning for the upside. I'm building my base of employees. I'm investing way ahead of the curve." on the expectation of success. And you know, some companies got from here to there and, and achieved their milestones and got the revenue base, which justified the expense, and some didn't. And now I think everybody's saying, instead of building ahead of the curve, let's build behind our success. And even despite a reset in the markets, despite what people believe might be you know a lower interest rate environment in the medium term, they're saying, hey, we got a little bit ahead of our skis. Let's just reset and take a more sober position as they think about hiring and growing.
0: Last year, one of the other early themes we are talking about, again, you're on more than 10 boards and, you know, you're an advisor to, you know, probably dozens of operators here. And you were saying, you know, cut, cut fast, cut deep, get them done here. I'm just curious, like, given what we just talked about is this kind of dynamic where – you know, big tech has led the way on the job cuts, but we're seeing this very robust job environment. If companies are still struggling, if they're saying to you, listen, it's going to be a tough slog for most of 2023, right? For a whole host of reasons here. Are you still recommending to them to kind of continue to be vigilant on costs and and, and as far as the the employment outlook here? And again, like to your point, they're always going to look for great people that they can add to their teams. But is that still a theme one year plus on from when you were advising them that?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's still a theme, and I have a couple board meetings this week, and that's clearly the board view now. And this is not only the board meetings I have this week, but next week, and across the firm. That you know, how do you a a how do you become financing risk? People forgot about when capital was free. You could send out a couple emails and and, and raise capital. Now capital is a lot more expensive, and whether it's you you have risk yeah, can you raise it, and at what price? the best thing you could do and having been an entrepreneur 20 years ago during the last crisis like that being financing risk independent is the most important thing if you're an entrepreneur so what we're seeing in these companies especially companies that have some size have some scale is be financing risk independent get to cash flow break even when you can don't cut off your nose to spite your face but you know get to cash flow break even and then reinvest that in, in how do you think about the allocation of those resources. And you know, the board-level strategy is the prioritization and allocation of resources against goals. And that's what we're really going through. And you know, have a great company I have a board meeting today with that's doing $100 million in revenue. They're growing very quickly. They're going to be cash flow break even in a couple months. They have plenty of money in the bank. And this is going to be, okay, therefore, now we've, now we've hit those milestones. Now what do we do? Now, do we grow? I mean, we—we we, it was—it's a marketplace business it's called Hop Skip, Drive. It's growing very quickly. It's helping children transport themselves around from schools and activities, and uh, even governments. And what they've done is they've said, "Hey, as we're growing for for new geographies, let's wait till we're cash flow positive, and we can provide the most fulsome service and grow and grow behind our success." And that's what the even
0: companies at scale of $100 million plus in revenue, that's the prudent thing to do. On the capital raising front, we know that there's, you know, hundreds of of companies that raised in 2020, 2021, they're going to probably need to raise into your point with interest rates where they are and the likelihood of them going down meaningfully in the next year are not great. They would only go down meaningfully interest rates if the economy went into a recession. Okay. And that's not going to be great for valuations either. So my question to you is that Are you hearing a lot of these founders saying to themselves, hey, listen, the NASDAQ's up 20% from its lows. People keep talking about soft landing. Look at this jobs market. Maybe we're back, baby. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Do they get a little head faked by that or they do not focus on the macro as much? Well, the
1: greatest thing about founders is they tend to be dramatic optimists. So they're always looking for the silver lining. And some of them see that. And, you know, our, our job as a board is to say, hey, we're taking the longest view in the room. That's one of the things that I always say in the board. Here's the longest view in the room. This might be a head fake in the market. But what we're seeing is the fundamentals, and the long-term fundamentals. As I talk to my limited partners, my LPs, my investors, they're still saying, hey, you know, that 4% risk-free rate is pretty attractive. You know, wh- where am I going to be on the risk curve to have this make sense? And you're seeing people pull out of the venture asset class at least until the market normalizes, especially when they can get a yield risk-free. So I think it's going to be hard for those folks, to, you know, venture companies, to raise money at least through the rest of 23. And then you're going to have to prove yourself and earn in to those milestones to raise that next round of capital.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here at the end of the great VC subsidy. Rick Heitzman of First Mark Capital, thanks for being here, man. Thank you You welcome back to OK Computer. I am here with Gene Munster. He is the managing partner at Deep Water Asset Management. Gene, welcome back to OK Computer. How are you?
3: Doing fantastic. Wonderful to be back.
0: Yeah, heck of a last few weeks, you know, and and I get to see you, I feel like every night on Fast Money as these earnings reports have been coming out over the last few weeks or so, and you are just breaking them down real time. And, you know, it's interesting. I always love the opportunity to kind of Take a look back and, and get some reflections, maybe with a little time in between. And again, some of these are clustered very close together and sometimes a little time and distance, right? Put some more perspective on it. But first, before we get into the mega cap tech earnings, talk to me about deep water. You started Loop years ago, and I remember how exciting that was after you left the sell side. You were both still covering companies, you were investing in the private markets and also in the public markets. Tell us about what deep deep water asset management is
3: so deep water is really the next logical step for loop and it's the same core team and we're investing in both private and public companies and specifically over the past year we've increased our exposure to the public companies and so that's what we're lining up, our brand that is goes beyond venture and gives us an opportunity, given our growth, to add more resources. And at the end of the day, this is not just because it's the right thing to do, but the true thing to do is we think that by doing this, we can improve uh, what we're providing for our investors. So that's what Deepwater is.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. And today's a great example of that, you know, Microsoft held, held this AI event, right? And they made this investment in open AI. And a lot of public market investors, probably a couple of years ago when they first did that, weren't really paying attention. You as somebody who's followed Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple, and, and you've been talking about AI and the integration of these technologies among these larger platforms. I know for years, because you and I have had those conversations. I've heard you talk about them on CNBC. But today's a great example of here, you know, Microsoft, not only made an investment in this company, but they're integrating this technology. The company, OpenAI, which they could not buy for a whole host of reasons, is then now using Microsoft services, whether it be Azure, Azure and, and, and the like here. So like this is kind of exhibit A, I, I suspect, why Deepwater is constructed the way it is.
3: Exactly. It just gives us an opportunity. We see things happening in the private space we can uh, get some insight to how that can impact the public companies and we can invest and profit from where the world is going. So that's exactly how we're lining it up.
0: Our listeners have the benefit of, of hearing you kind of, we're gonna rip through a, a bunch of these names here. Let, let's talk about the big kahuna, let's talk about Apple. I know this is a company that I think your name has been closely associated with for maybe a couple of decades, cause you've been a perma bull. And in this case, being a perma bull on Apple has been a very good thing, right? This was the first trillion dollar market market cap company, the first $2 trillion market cap company, it's probably going to be easily the first $3 trillion market cap company. You had a couple cautious comments. I think into the print, you were a bit cautious. I think you thought that some of the things that you saw decelerating in the smartphone space, obviously, Macs weren't particularly good here. Talk to us a little bit about your reflection on the quarter and what this means, because I think you and I have talked about this in the past. You know, 2019, it was that calendar Q4 that they reported, they pre-announced. That was the first negative pre-announcement that we had seen out of them in probably over a decade. It was largely predicated on a slowdown in China. We know China was pretty slow. Talk to us about just kind of what this quarter meant to you because it was a 5% sales drop. It was the largest quarterly revenue drop that you had seen for this company since 2016.
3: Well, I think you you said it right. I mean, for starters, it's just rare that we talk about Apple and talk about misses. And so that's a starting point that makes you need to do more work in terms of what's uh, driving that shortfall. And it was a little bit of a unique dynamic in the sense that they pre-announced in early November that the supply issues in China were going to have a negative impact on the quarter. Uh, so the adjustments, the analysts made those adjustments, and they still came in below expectations, in part because of the macro, in part because of the operational side, the logistics piece. And so what my goal in this was, uh, we had a generally a good sense that this was going to be a miss. We can look at the TSMC numbers. We can look at some of the other IDC numbers on the MAC side. And so we had a sense that this was coming. The piece where I missed on this is uh, a belief that I thought that even though everyone knew uh, that things could be light, that uh, it's still until the numbers are printed, especially a company like Apple, it's so rare that they miss. I would have expected the stock uh, to have been down on that. If, uh, and usually it's it's really everything is fully priced in. And the case, the reason why I think it's held in there is that if you do peel back the layers and Look at the take the view that some of these operational the supply chain stuff will work itself out and eventually the macro is going to work itself out what's most important is to have an engaged base and of course they announced they hit that two billion active device numbers that's up eight percent year over year so that's a similar size as meta has in terms of daily active users two billion they're growing meta's growing their daily active users at about one two percent a year Apple's growing there. If you want to consider that kind of comparable metric of active devices up 8% a year. So same hard numbers to comp against. That's pretty impressive. And I think that's one of the reasons why the stock held in there. There also was some positive updates in terms of the number of subscriptions they're adding. Despite the slowdown in services, being up only 7% year over year, they had good engagement. And so you kind of break the quarter into two pieces. One is, yeah, it was bad, but it, it was not a reflection, I think, and the underlying core engine of how Apple, what they've done. And just to finish the thought quickly, Dan. What they do is come out with a product that people love and then they buy other products, uh, they upgrade those products and then they fall in love with other products and that flywheel seems to be intact.
0: And to your point about the services, when you think about it, has been reported that they're gonna come out with a mixed reality AR, VR sort of headset, you can only see that just, again, like that being a big driver of the sort of engagement that you're talking about on a 2 billion iOS installed base. And, and again, we haven't even talked about payments. I mean, the list goes on and on. And this is one of the things why investing's hard, people, as you know. And so, you know, there was when that stock got to $125, I mean. Some of us got a little cute. We're like, well, it's probably going to 100, you know, sort of thing. And then you want to buy it for all the reasons that you just mentioned. But for some reason, it just didn't get to that kind of discounted phase. And I guess my last question, Gene, on Apple is that, you know, expectations right now for earnings and sales, let's call it at best is low single digits growth this current fiscal year, right? And so we have three quarters left. We have flat margins from, from here to, you know, that as far as the eye can see, about 43%, which for a hardware company, which they primarily still are, is remarkable when you think about the smartphone industry. Why do investors not seem particularly bothered at 25 times? Are we going to start thinking about this the same way we think about Coke or Pepsi as as a consumer staple?
3: You you nailed it. I think that that's effectively what's happened in the past year two years is that you know, it's funny We when the conversation around Tesla is that it's not a car company, it's a tech company. What does that mean for the multiple? And in the case of where Apple's at, the conversation, is it a tech company or is it a Staples company? And I think when you look at these engagement numbers, and I think that it's it points more to Clorox and Coca-Cola than it does towards a, a typical tech company. And investors reward that. Uh, re- investors reward it with higher multiples because uh, they can sleep well at night. And I think that's one of the unique parts about investing in Apple is you have a stable base that people are gonna keep coming back to and upgrading, but also you have optionality value, whether it's around those AR glasses that you talked about, potentially something in cars, they just have optionality, which uh, something like Clorox and Coke don't have.
0: That's right. Okay, let's talk about Microsoft really quickly here, because again, you know, here's one that, uh, you know, on the 2024 consensus, looking for double digit earnings and sales growth, and this stock trades at the same multiple as Apple, which is expected to grow far less, like we just talked about year over year. Um, So when you see things like this integration of um, chat GPT into Bing, which I I don't think that Bing was on your bingo card for a big driver of of this year's sort of growth, does this kind of, you know, kind of say, okay, this helps justify that premium multiple here because here's a company that not only is thinking out and thinking about how they're competing with Alphabet, Google in particular, they may this investment in open AI before it became a real buzzy sort of thing. And then they didn't even double down. They, I mean, they went all in and they're actually moving very quickly to introduce products that consumers can use. It's
3: definitely uh, risen quickly on our list. And I would say that at the point, at this point, we don't own Microsoft, but it's one that I've been doing more work on, not because of all the, the buzz. I just want to try to set, step aside from all the buzz but the substance of of what's going on. And there's the Bing integration piece. So when we think about Microsoft and think about AI integration, these large language models, LLM that people refer to, I think the world's gonna be kind of split into two. There's gonna be the information side of that. And then there's gonna be the productivity tool side of that. The information side of that, I think ultimately is gonna be won by Google and they're gonna come out with their competitor here with Bard and they're gonna integrate Google search into that. They got 90% share. They're probably gonna have a better product. And that's kind of what Bing showed. That's what Microsoft showed with Bing today. So even though it's nice and the demo was really impressive with current information added to GPT, it's not the reason what gets me more excited. What gets me excited is that 40% of global um, information workers use uh, Office. And uh, there are products, a lot of people use Gmail, but a lot of people use Outlook and Word and PowerPoint and Excel. And that integration is something that I think can provide an easy opportunity for them to start to upsell they're not going to see the leverage in it probably for a few years because the amount of investment that this is going to take. So it's not an immediate addition to margins. But if you start thinking out to 2025, for example, as they roll out these uh, features built into office and start raising the price, then you start to see some leverage in this. So it's starting to get uh, more attractive.
0: Yeah. And I guess the shame is, and we're going to kind of at some point at the end of this conversation, kind of wrap it all up and think about what what the kind of rate environment looks like and how that's kind of reoriented, I think a lot of investors' thoughts about valuations. But the shame is, is that none of these stocks right here, after these huge rips over the last month and a half or so, we've seen massive outperformance of these mega cap names. None of them are discounting what might not be, be something less than a soft landing, despite all of the stuff that we heard from all of these CEOs over the last few weeks is cautious. I mean, like, so is it cautiously? optimistic of course and that's the thing that really sucks is that you know if you didn't kind of just you know just basically hold your nose in mid-October and just buy. And then even when we had that retest in, you know, December or something like that, it's just getting to a point where I think a lot of this stuff feels a bit frothy here. Um, let, let's move over to to alphabet here because this is one I think on valuation. I think you probably feel that way. It's one of the ones that we hear routinely, you know, expectations for the next two years, this current year, 2023 and 2024, expected about 20%. Earnings growth for the next two years and about 12% sales growth trading, you know, on the out year at a market multiple right now. And so I guess is one of the reasons why is that you're some of the things we just talked about is just kind of all focus on google and, and maybe that core search capability and is that one reason why maybe consensus estimates are a bit more conservative at least as it relates to from an a valuation standpoint the multiple you're willing to pay for that expected earnings and sales
3: i think it's a, a good risk reward i would say if you had to compare the risk reward of google right now to microsoft i think it favors google do you own google is in part because of uh, what we see is this fabric and their comps are going to be getting easier fabric of commerce, fabric of the internet, fabric of our lives, we couldn't live without Google. And uh, that is the reason why I mentioned that is it becomes such a part of our our living that it is undoubtedly impacted by the macro. And I think we're just gonna get to easier comps next year and that's gonna be particularly good for Google. From the perspective of kind of what's exciting, where's the leverage point? There's a couple of them. One is related to what they're gonna be doing with Bard and uh, I suspect they're gonna have a better chat bot The reason is in 2017, uh, they started to to change their message to investors from uh, organize the world's information to be an AI first company. They've been pretty consistent about that. They've been apprehensive at coming out with products because there's some reputational risk. Now they're willing to take some of those chances. And I think ultimately that's going to yield better search products. So even with the 10 blue links, I think we're going to get more accurate search with some of these this AI. And then just some more exciting products, some tie ins with Gmail about helping write your Gmail. You see that prediction sometimes when you're in gmail and it tries to finish your sentence when you're writing an email that's just the start of it i mean it'll do the whole email for you so that's an exciting part and then separately as they talked on their last earnings call about having a durable model durable model is code for higher margins unfortunately that probably is going to include further headcount reductions google has a culture that they're trying to shift from being a very family-like culture to more of a, a family and profit focused culture And that's a hard thing to do. Uh, But for investors, as you think about over the next one to two years, I suspect we'll see uh, further reductions in headcount, mostly through attrition. But I think that is something that is worth getting excited about. And like you said, Market multiple to have an AI first company with improving margin seems like a good setup. Let's
0: talk about Amazon here because I think that you know the headline there was just the deceleration in AWS and the in the magnitude of that. And again, maybe it's their exposure to startups and and we're seeing some of those falter. We've seen obviously pretty aggressive cuts on, on the expense side in the private space here, and maybe that's one of the reasons why uh, Microsoft says you're you know held up a little bit better. Thoughts here because this is one where. Again, Again, this is a company that's used AI for recommendation and and a whole host of other things for a while, and we've all Felt it, probably not appreciated it as much as we should. And, and again, that's not the story here, but it might be something as as they kind of roll out some AI tools across AWS. How are you thinking about Amazon here? Because of all the names that we just talked about, this has acted the worst since it reported earnings.
3: Because uh, you know, I I tend to want to try to look at the other side of things, and this, as you said, it's acted the worst, and so I naturally want to see like what are people missing on this, and I don't think investors are missing much. I think that there is, uh, you know, just still some, still a great company long term. uh, All the good stuff. we're, We're still bound to them for commerce purposes, but we do need to see some sort of get to a point where we're starting to comp easier comparables on AWS and on some of their just the core commerce business. And we probably don't get that for another six to nine months. My suspicion is that if you want to own something for the next three months, this probably doesn't make sense. If you want to own it for the long term, I think it, it still very much makes sense. And this is one that I used to cover as an analyst, covered from many years. And, you know, they, they have a, a method about it, different CEO Obviously, but this method is that they typically uh, will go and flex their their profit muscle at a certain point just to remind investors that there's hope out there. And I suspect that they're going to probably do that in probably sometime in 2024 is to start to show some expanding margin and margins have been going down pretty dramatically over the past year. And so this is not one where you can sleep well at night owning it but it is one that if you have the advantage or the the luxury of owning something for a year plus, I still think it's gonna be in a great place. Well,
0: yeah, and I'll just say this. I mean, given the rallies that all of these names have had, you know, from those October lows, that if you were in the camp, that the sentiment might shift here, right? Because I think everybody got so bared up into year end. And the, I think the conventional wisdom is that we're gonna have something worse than a soft land and economically, the way that these companies were signaling that they had to cut costs, that maybe they just didn't feel particularly great um you know about the near term and you know when you saw the turn of the calendar and it was just like you know, lights out and, and we've had these kind of moves. But at the end of the day, at least what I took away from a lot of the, just the commentary and the guidance is that the next few months or the next couple quarters are gonna continue to be kind of difficult. And especially if kind of the Fed narrative about what, what are they having a hard time with right now with un- unemployment at 53 year lows or something like that. And these companies have been aggressively cutting costs there. We know there's a lot of wage inflation and that is the sort of thing that can weigh on margins but on the flip side of that is if that fed continues to keep rates high they don't even have to keep hiking from here on out right they keep them high, that will weigh on valuations again, and you're gonna have the opportunity to dollar cost average some of these names on their way back to their October lows. I just can't imagine though, Gene, when you think about, yes, we saw multiple compression in a lot of these names before estimates started coming down in 2022 in a meaningful manner, okay? But at some point, there's just no way that we have a bear market, in my opinion, I'm the fast money guy here, where we basically bottom out at like 17 times, the S&P 500. Just thoughts on that, because you've seen different cycles and you've lived through some of these big bear markets.
3: I think it was a pretty straightforward conversation in 2022. It was all about rates. Just uh, watched and you knew what was going to happen with rates based on the CPI number. Look at the CPI number. You can infer what's going to happen with rates. And uh, you didn't have to overthink it. I think in 2023, it's the second you have to think about the second derivative. And of course, the second derivative would be the the pace of rate hikes, and and the conversation is you know is is about well, what's going to happen with the hikes, and when are the hikes going to start to pare down? Could they come down at the end of the year? Could they be raising too throughout the year? All of that I think it becomes a secondary topic. And if I was going to put all this together, I I think that you know we had a big spike up here. It would be natural for us to have a pullback. But my my sense is that the market is going to look further at the second derivative, and the second derivative is that the the pace of hikes is going to be declining, the percentage uh, pace. And we've been through, especially tech investors, have been through a lot, and I think they get kind of numb to it. And that's a good thing for for stocks to start to improve. So uh, one thing that we can count on is we're probably not going to get what everyone expects, which is a soft landing. We're either probably going to navigate through this better or it's going to be worse. And I think in both cases, as you fast forward six months from now, it's probably a good thing if the overall macro gets worse rates are going to go down and don't fight the feds the tech stocks are going to go up and if the opposite happens if things aren't as bad i think people say you know what we navigated this successfully and so uh, things probably are going to look up and just to be very clear is that you know just the you know our pace of deployment you know we're not out chasing and what keeps me up at night is just that there are a lot of people out there like me who are still kind of waiting for a a little bit of a pullback here for what should be a better back half of the year.
0: You know, we've talked about Tesla a bit, and this is a name that I know you've liked a lot for just basically long-term secular sort of reasons. I know you got a bit cool on it last year. And you know, this stock went from above 400 in late 2021 to early this year to about $100, 101. I mean, it's just a remarkable sort of 75% drop. And it was over a trillion dollar market cap at its highs. And now here we are, it's just basically from 100 to 200 in a straight line in like five or six weeks 600 billion plus market cap I mean what, what would you like to see to happen here I mean I, I know that you're probably looking for entry points right and, and I'm just curious thoughts here because what's the near term look like I know what you think of the long term what's the near term look like here
3: I'm kicking myself I, I wish that I was waiting for the the earnings to come down and thought that it wasn't priced in and it was priced in I mean they, it came in fractionally better than what I expected I thought the uh, the gross margins XCV credits would have been kind of high teens, and it came in at they said it will be 20% plus, and that's, that caused this rip back. The price decrease obviously a big deal. So to answer your question in the near term, uh, we're, we're going into an analyst day on March 1st, and probably between now and March 1st, people get all excited. That's what happens, especially in a, a stock that has a religious following to it. Uh, I think by the time we hit the investor day, it probably sells off after that because it'll have been hyped up going into it.
0: And again, I'll just say this is that, you know, obviously, you know, this is not a story that I'm particularly that interested in. And I think that the bloom is off the rose here a little bit. I mean, despite that, you know, massive rally from those recent lows, I, I mean, like, I guess where I focus is just that kind of religious nature of it. And, and I've said this to you before, as long as I've been in the business in 25 years, and I've seen some, you know, massive bubbles form and I've seen them pop, the religious ones, they just, they just don't. It doesn't end well. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm not saying. The Tesla story. I'm saying, you know, Elon Musk attached to it, and the way he's been doing things, though, you know, over the last, you know, six months, has been very detrimental, not only to the Tesla share price, but also the Twitter share price. And so, you know, to me, I I think that there's probably still a few chapters left
3: in this kind of bear story. It's going to be the gift that keeps giving because we're going to be talking a lot about it.
0: Well, listen, Gene, I appreciate you coming in and talking about all of these names and kind of giving us your macro take. And I'm really excited for you and what you're doing with deep water assets. So I'm sure I'll see you on CNBC's Fast Money in the not so distant future. And I certainly hope you'll come back to OK Computer.